it's a privilege to be here and I want to thank the Lord for allowing me to come be a blessing to you. Amen. I have been asked by the organizers to help us to understand the importance of rightly dividing the word of truth. So we are going to do a bit of exegesis now, but I'll, I'll be doing the converse, which is eisegesis, and that would help us to have an understanding. If you have a Bible in your hand, would you please open to the letter of the Apostle Paul to Brother Timothy. I want to read 2 Timothy chapter 2. I want to read from verses 1 through to 13. Second letter of the Apostle Paul to Timothy chapter 2 from verses 1 through to 13. And then we go to Acts chapter 2 41 through to 47. So if you open that in advance so that we are not rustling the pages of the text so that we can just put our hands straight there. Acts chapter 2 41 through to 47. But let's start with 2 Timothy chapter 2 1 to 13. You then my child be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as the good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier get entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the cross. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preaching my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Acts chapter 2, 41 through to 47. So those who received this word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers and all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who received and all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any hard need and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with other people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you for such a time as this. Thank you for my brothers and my, and my sister who are sat here. I pray that you may help me now to be able to, to speak your word. Give us a receptive heart. Give us a retentive memory. 
help us to have a clearer, deeper understanding of your truth. At the end of this meeting, let all the glory and the honor return back to Jesus Christ. In Jesus' powerful name, we have prayed. Amen. Amen. Let me start by saying that the first and most dangerous enemy of the Christ-centered church is false teaching. If you are sat here this morning and you desire the Christ-centered biblical ministry and orthodoxy of the world, you must have a clue of what Isegesis is. E-I-S-E-G-E-S-I-S. It is the opposite of the need for good exegesis and its processes. If you don't understand this, the intricacies, the landmines, and you go into ministry, or you're already in one, you are going to make dangerous mistakes of biblical interpretations. You are going to inject opinions, faulty meanings, and views. You are going to think that what you've just interpreted in your sermon preparation is from the Holy Spirit. The challenge is, even when you know, please look at me, even when you know and think that that is not from the Holy Spirit, it's not from the Bible, you will find a way to justify it. And then on the Lord's Day, or during the midweek service, you are going to preach a distortion of the gospel. You are going to stand behind the pulpit here, and you are going to teach that which is not in the Bible. You are going to be teaching the people of God what Jesus Christ did not say in the Sermon on the Mount. You are going to be expounding the letter of the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth in a wrong way. This is why I see Jesus is dangerous, very dangerous. You will be feeding the church that which is not biblical. You'll be feeding the sheep, S-H-W-E-P, feeding the sheep of Jesus Christ the wrong type of grass. And the sheep would run a stomach upset. What is the definition of, of eisegesis? It is the interpretation of a text, in this case, the Bible, by reading into it your own ideas. So you pick up a copy of the Bible, you read, and you begin to inject your own ideas into its interpretations. You may see, please listen to me very well, you may see to a degree what the author in Christ has written, but you don't totally agree with him. Let me hit the nail on the head now. You must agree with the author of the text. Or you can't be a pastor. You can't. You must agree with the author of the text. You must be on the same page, the same wavelength, the same linear line with the author. You must agree with the Holy Spirit as the grand author. You see, the scripture from Genesis to, to, to Revelation is written by men with divine inspiration from the Holy Spirit. So you are not, you are not agreeing with us men, you are agreeing with God. So if you interpret your own, your own meaning into the text, what you've done is to remove God from the equation. This is why a wrong interpretation of the text is very dangerous 
extremely dangerous so when you sit in your study and you begin to prepare or you are sat at your dining table with your book spread and you're preparing to teach God's people you must ask for help you must ask for the help of the Holy Spirit to help you prepare the text and walking through the text do you spend quality time walking through the text I usually tell people that you know horse racing horse racing they have what is called blinkers on the on the highs of the horses they are metal blinkers right so I can't see this brother I can't see him I don't want to see him I don't want to see him I want to see that brother so it's like that I can't see Pastor Murungi I can't see this brother because I've got blinkers on they put blinkers on the faces of the horses so that they are not distracted and they are not neighing you know the name no just look in front to that brother that's my goal not Pastor Murungi not him this is what the Bible teaches you when you want to teach God's word you put on metaphorical blinkers and you're concentrating on the text alone no distraction the blinkers help you to concentrate on the text on the context on the pericope and then the author's intention what is the intention of the author of this text what are the motivations behind ICGCs? I have seven here, you can have 20, but I have seven key ones here, and I want to address about two of them. There are seven, seven or more personal ideas that motivate wrong teaching. Wrong teaching. So you have culture, your culture, the culture in Meru Township. You see, we have allowed today's culture to define the local church. Do you agree with me? Today's culture to define the local church. We have allowed success. So you will find some people, they can't come and worship here. Because it's bland. So people go to churches where it's not a tent. Right? So the pastor is struggling. He has not arrived yet. When he arrives, people can come to him. He doesn't have a car. So there is no, there is no Mercedes-Benz outside here. Is a, is a struggling man. The elders are struggling, so we can't come to this type of church. They don't have air conditioning units. We can't come here. The seats are plastic. There are no carpets. We have allowed success to determine the word of God. We have allowed entertainment. We allow entertainment to be the guiding principle of the local church. We allow edifice, right? We allow church buildings until you have a cathedral we can come to your church we allow programs we allow various social outreaches to dominate church activity you are not given time to the world you are not given time we allow fashion that's a dangerous one we allow fashion people are enslaved by fashion and oh I don't have what to wear to church today I wore my shirt last week I don't have a new jeans no come as you are come in your pajamas but make sure it's clean we allow processes we allow church to be managed by pragmatism we are governed by philosophy x plus y equals x y two and we want things to be done that way you see brothers and sisters if you run away from this i want to beg you in the name of god if you run away from this 
you are on the right path to to proper biblical interpretation let me start with culture before we before we go on we must get a fact straight here very clear the bible transcends culture do you agree with me the bible transcends culture so both the old testament and the new testament they were written in in Gregor roman times they were written during asian near east they were written in masoretic text we know that but they transcend culture and this is why the bible in your hand is always very fresh so john 3 16 for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life that statement is fresh every morning so when i came to nairobi pastor morungi bought me a loaf of bread it was sealed in the morning i opened it the bread was smelling fresh and I had some bread, right? Every morning, you have fresh bread. You have fresh milk. But each time you open the word of the living God, it's always fresher, fresher than the bread Pastor Morungi bought me. You can read John 3, 16 for the rest of your life, and it's fresh. Because the Holy Spirit breathes on it. It's fresh. So this is why we know that the Bible in our hand is always fresh. So whether you are from Nairobi, or you are from Mombasa, or you are from Nehru, or you are a Nigerian born like me, or you are Zulu, or Hispanic, or Latino, or Creole, the Bible helps you with the Holy Spirit to have a clearer, deeper understanding of who Jesus Christ is. Please look at me. As the pages of the Bible unfold from Genesis through to Revelation, right? there is a fine thread. Don't miss it. Pastor Morungi will be helping you later. It's a fine thread of Jesus Christ. So as the pages unfold, Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Numbers 10, Nahum 1, Acts of Apostles 17, it unfolds Jesus Christ. It's a fine systematic theology. It's all about Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, do you agree? It's all about Jesus Christ. So whether you read in the original language, or in English, on your local Kenyan dialect, the Holy Spirit ministers to you. The Holy Spirit helps you to read the Bible alongside the writings of orthodox commentaries. Ah, I must emphasize, please listen carefully. I must emphasize that the major help that you need for a clearer, deeper understanding is the Holy Spirit. But we must acknowledge gifted writers. Please do. Please do. I was telling the church in Machakos that I have noticed in my dealings with Pastor Murungi that he writes better than me. Better than me. And if he writes a commentary, I want to read it. We are gifted differently. So when you see Orthodox writers, Sorry about that. When you see orthodox gifted writers, please buy books. Brothers and sisters, buy books. Train yourself not to eat some food so that you can buy books. Buy books. It would help you. You see, the Lord has used these brothers to help us.
so that they can head our understanding of biblical interpretation. You see, if the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit is the author of the Bible or the Scripture, then we must believe in its infallibility and inherency. Pastor Murungi has helped with that. You must understand that the Bible in your hand is error-free. It's error-free. It's not your quantum physics. It's not your anatomy textbook. It's not your business 101 at University of Meru. This is the living word of God. You must understand that the Bible in your hand is infallible. So when you hold a copy in your hand, it is error-free. That is why we are able to stand here. The office of the pastor is not, is not a law firm. You are not a barrister. The office of the pastor is not an engineering consortium. You are not a civil engineer. The office of the pastor is to come every Lord's Day, is to come every Wednesday and teach the Word of God. It is life. So I will tell our church in the UK that there is a connect between the pulpit and the chairs. As the brother is preaching God's word, the people are connecting not to him, but to God. So we must have a clearer, deeper understanding of who Jesus Christ is. Please listen attentively. As a preacher of the Bible, you must never sit on the fence. Never, never, never. We do not have a demilitarized zone in the gospel. We are at war. So there are certain issues that you must address in your church. And Pastor Murungi has helped us. If there is a false teaching going around in your locality, address it as the pastor of the church. If there is a false teacher, you are not abusing the false teacher, you are pointing your people away from the false teacher. And you want them to have a clearer, deeper understanding. You see, the culture in Ephesus makes Apostle Paul to write that letter to Timothy. He was guided by the Holy Spirit in context of the church, in wider church application. So when you're preaching a text, you're preaching in context, but you're also applying in wider church application. So if we say, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son. Who was he speaking to? Who was speaking? Jesus Christ. Who was he speaking to? Nicodemus. Are you Nicodemus? No, you are not. But in wider application, that text is for you. Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. Who was speaking? John the Baptist. Who was he speaking about? Jesus Christ. Are you Jesus Christ? But that text is for you. Behold, the Lamb of God, Jesus, who has come in 2022, Mary Township, to take away your sin. You must preach the entire council of the Bible. You see, therefore, you cannot allow culture, culture in 2022 Meru, Kenya, to determine your exposition of the Bible. You cannot. Let me say this. You can write down because I want to expound now. One of the primary reasons for error in theology is your desire as a preacher to want to say something new. Did you get it? One of the errors, main errors, that we have in theology is that, is, that, is that when I'm standing here on the last day, I want to impress the people. Brother, don't impress people. Just open the text. Pray to the Lord. Come here. 
do your exegesis work and just preach. Let the Holy Spirit do the impression. One of the primary reasons for error in theology is my desire, your desire, or the preacher to want to say something new. When you stand behind the pulpit on the last day, in the capacity to preach the living word of God, it is a massive privilege. Massive privilege. Let me emphasize. It's a massive privilege to be the pastor of a local church or to be part of the eldership of a local church. There are brothers who are better than me, who are more eloquent than me, who speaks better English, who has multiple degrees, but the Lord has chosen me in His will, validated by His church, to preach the gospel. I want to be humble all the days of my life. I want to stand behind here in hall, expounding the word of God. Please, don't try to impress the congregation. You are not there to preach yourself. <laughs> you are not there to be an expert in the gospel. You are not there to show off your skills of Hebrew and Greek. No, you are not there to boast about your ability to exegete. You are standing there to preach Christ crucified and resurrected. That's your job. That's your job. 40 minutes, 30 minutes, one hour, go and sit down. Start again. Next Sunday, come back again. So you are to approach the pulpit in all sober humility with profound clarity of who Jesus Christ is. You are a slave of righteousness who have been saved by grace through faith alone. So it is scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone, Jesus Christ alone, to the glory of God the Father. Sola Scriptura, Sola Gratia, Sola Fide, Solus Christus, Soli Deo Gloria. Bible alone, grace alone, faith alone, Jesus Christ alone, to the glory of God the Father. That's your duty. That's your duty. Brothers and sisters, that whether you're a Sunday school teacher, whether you are a pastor like my dear brother, whether you are Pastor Murungi, whether you are Wale, whether you are like my brother there, whether you are the reverend there, preach Christ crucified and resurrected. Preach Jesus Christ as Peter preached him on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 came to, to, to faith. Preach Jesus Christ as Paul preached him in Athens in Acts 17. And don't be swayed by modern culture. Don't be swayed by modern culture. We are very old people. We are very old people because the Bible is old. Yeah? We are not yuppie Christians who will wear jeans and they will sag it. No. We are old Christians, metaphorically. We are, old. we are focused on the cross of Christ. We are not young men. Though the pastor of the church may be a young man, but he's not a young man because he's handling the word of truth, which is aged. Don't be swayed by modern culture. Don't be. Don't be. Let me speak about amen, sir. Let me speak about entertainment. This is this is worrying me a lot. Please look at me. Don't take your eyes off me for about two minutes. The church is not a comedy club. The church is not a cinema. The church is not a ninth club. Don't allow comedians in your church. 
Don't give them the lectern or the pupil to come and share jokes. We don't share jokes in church. Yes, we laugh with ourselves, we chat, my brother is struggling, I go to him, I encourage him, I am struggling, he comes to my house and we have a meal together, my wife knows him, his wife knows me, his children knows me, I share empathy with him, I love him genuinely, I pray for him, right? I don't share jokes with him, because we are not a joking church, we may laugh, be careful. Don't allow comedians in your church. So uh, we want the church to be happy. We want the young people to come. And then you put lights in your church and to change, to change, to change the, the scenario of the church, right? And there is smoke coming in your church. You think it's a comedy club or a nightclub? No, no. What we do is the centrality of the gospel. Every day we preach the gospel. The church in Acts chapter 2 that we just read from verse 41 to 47 is a group of brothers and sisters under the leadership of Jesus Christ. This particular Jerusalem church in context and now Trinity Reformed Baptist Church, Meru, wider application. Right, do you get it now? Jerusalem church, Acts chapter 2, 41 to 47 in context. Trinity Reformed Baptist Church, Meru, in wider application. Grace Church, Walthamstow, London, wider application. Trinity Baptist Church, Nairobi, wider application. Is a band of brothers. Please come. Is a band of brothers. Right? I don't know him from anywhere. But because he's a member of this church, I love him genuinely. He's a band of brothers. We don't go clubbing. We go to church. And I love him. And I will hold him for the rest of the church life. And I honor him. And he honors me. And I help him. And he helps me. And we worship the same triune God. We are devoted to apostles' doctrine. We are devoted to fellowship. We are devoted to lost table. We are devoted to prayer. That is what the church is all about. And when he has a clearer understanding, if I step on his toes, he may be upset with me for a few times. Say, Brother Wale, you've been avoiding me. You stepped on my toes. If I'm a genuine believer, I would apologize. I will give him a big hug and he will set you. Because before the end of the year, we're going to fight again. <laughs> Is your church a Bible-believing church? Because if you are not sound as a pastor, you cannot teach your church to be Christ-centered. Thank you, sir. You can't. You can't. Don't delude yourself. The man of God, as Pastor Morungi has said, must be born again. And that is why tomorrow I'm going to preach a sermon to you. Are you genuinely saved? If you die now. I know you're a pastor. You've been a pastor for 30 years. Sound. You have, you have, you have a new Bible. Your Bible is sparkling clean. Does Jesus Christ know you? Yes, you can exegete. When you preach, people listen. They are not like me that they are sleeping. People listen. And, and, and you open the scripture. You teach soundly. Brother, if you die today, where will you spend eternity? Does Jesus Christ know you? You must ask the question, what must I do to be saved? Please be very careful.
in our churches we must do Ephesians 5 19 we address one another in psalms and hymns like my brother did he prayed over us we sang a song we enjoy fellowship we've gone to have tea and some snack we're going excuse me we're going to have lunch that's fellowshipping we make melody to the Lord with your heart as a pastor you must teach your church right you must spend time learning the word of God you see we have Bible passages admonishing us to sing as a congregation and there is a place for such I want to make a point now so please listen carefully the songs that we sing in our churches leads to the preaching of God's word so let me do something when we come in the morning, we come to call to worship, right? The pastor leads after your Sunday school. I'm told that you're doing your 1689 now. Praise God, chapter 19. Praise God. In your main service, the pastor starts We call to worship. He opens in prayer. You sing a hymn. You sing another hymn. You do pastoral prayer. You read a text. The pastor begins to preach. The pastor finishes preaching. He prays. You sing the closing hymn, the benediction. You drink coffee, right? Everything that you've been doing from the call to worship, right? They are pointing towards the sermon. Everything that you do after the sermon, they find fulfillment in the sermon. The centrality of the church is the preaching of God's word. That is why I beg pastors and elders, your pulpit must be central, physically central, so that you can project to everybody. Don't put your pulpit on one side and you put a table for snack in the middle. We don't come to church for coffee. Coffee is good. We enjoy coffee. We come to church to hear the word of God. Give quality time to someone. Quality time. Spend time in, in singing, in praying, Spend time, spend time. This is the best time. Not the entertainment. We sing songs. This is the best time. So, in our church, my sermon will be about 45 minutes. Max. Sometimes 50 minutes. I would encourage you, please do one hour. Yeah? One hour. Because you're preaching to people 52 Sundays in a year with evening service. So, they hear you 104 times. They see you midweek. 52. That's 160. Right? So, give people daily doses. Let the Lord be honored. Don't do entertainment in your church. Please, do not replace the pole position of the lectern of the pulpit with singing. Be measured. Two, three hymns, sermon. Two hymns, benediction. Let quality time be expended here. You see, the motivation of the local church when you don't preach Christ crucified and resurrected is not Christ-centered. The motivation of the church is not biblical when you don't preach the gospel. The gospel. You know what the gospel is? Jesus' incarnation, his ministry, his suffering, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his exaltation as priest, prophet, and king, that Jesus is sat in heaven as the God man. You must preach his incarnation. You must preach his ministry, his suffering, his death, 
his resurrection, his bodily ascension, his exaltation as our Father in heaven as the God-man. That is the gospel. Great is the gospel of our glorious God. You must preach it. If you are not preaching the gospel, close your shop. Go and drive a matatu. Preach Christ. Preach Christ. That is the only job that you have. There is a hymn. I don't know if you have it in your hymn book. I think it is in the Grace Hymn. It's by, it's by Eliza Hewitt. We need no other argument. You know the song? We need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died. Finish it for me. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Your job is to preach Christ. Please look at me. Preach Christ. Die and be forgotten. That's it. Characteristics of Isidusis. You see, we have come as Bible preachers. Please look at me. Bible preachers, no other thing. That if you are not very careful, if you don't do your exegesis right, you are going to jump out of a plane without a parachute. What would happen to you? You are going to crash and die. If you don't follow the true intention of the author, if you don't follow the context, if you rip a verse out of his context and you run away with it, without interpreting it and considering the root system, if you as a preacher ask your listeners on Sunday, on Wednesday, yeah, to run away with a text without properly addressing that text, you will not be building a sound church. You will not build in a sound church. Matthew 18. Listen carefully. Listen carefully. Let's now gather as a church. We thank God for bringing us today. We bless his holy name. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you for Trinity Reformed Baptist Church, Meru. Because in your word you say, where two or three are gathered, here am I in their midst. And then you pray on. And then you stop. No. Where two or three are gathered in the context of Matthew 18 is for church discipline. Because if you are praying for your opening service and you use that text, I am wondering in my head, I am a single man. I've just come from home. So that means God is not with me until I come to church. Where two or three are gathered. Where two or three are gathered. You want to open up a church in prayer? That is not the prayer to start with. Because God is with me at home. When you want to discipline a man or a woman who has not repented, you bring the church together. Where two or three are gathered in my name, whatever we bound on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever we lose on earth is lose in heaven. The brother is not repenting. You treat him as an unbeliever. You remove him from church membership, right? You've not removed him from eternal life. But it is binding on him because God, God sees his church as his bride. You've just moved the brother. And the brother must repent. 
before it can come in. We as a church, we have decided, right, where two or three, Pastor Murungi, that pastor, that reverend, that sister, we've sat down, we've decided to remove you from membership. Brother, now go. Where two or three are gathered is not an opening prayer for church service. That is context. Okay, the converse is this. Be very careful when you pray that prayer. You must be able as a man of God to rightly divide the word of truth. You must preach Christ. You must show people that you are, you are, you are very careful with your choice of words. Because you are standing here. You see, the, the local church is the bride of Jesus Christ. No doubt about it. Yeah? If you are here and you don't believe that, maybe me and you should have a boxing match outside. The local church is the bride of Jesus Christ. But the pastor is the under-shepherd. He's a servant, right? Sometimes people look at us and then we say, don't look at me. Look at Jesus. You, 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 you divert them. Look at Jesus. Yes, look at Jesus. But sometimes our behavior as ministers of God helps the local church. If you don't teach right, if you don't choose your words carefully, even in your prayer and verbalization, brother, you would injure the church. The church would run away thinking that God is not with me at home until I come to church. Yes, it's a fellowshipping. Yes, we know. Blessed be the tie that binds us, our heart in Christian love. It's a fellowship. But even at my home, and I meet with you over some chai, it's also fellowship. This is just a covering from the element. This is not the church. You are the church. Teach your people right. So, what are the characteristics of ICGCs? The answer will be the converse of Acts chapter 2, 41 to 47. In verse 42, if you do not teach the church right, the church will not be devoted to the apostles' doctrine. And that is why when I was speaking with the pastor of this church, he told me that the other brother, they are working their way through some confessional statements. And I was happy. They are in chapter 19 now. I am very sensitive to people. Today I have seen the pastor go there and pick up Psalm Wardram, modern exposition. And I'm watching him. Praise the Lord. Because the pastor of the local church wants to be devoted so that he can be equipped to teach the church. If you, if you are not devoted, if you don't spend quality time in your study, when you come here, you are an empty barrel. You are. You are. You must spend quality time there. Laboring. Laboring. Writing notes. Reading your Bible. Drinking chai. So that you are not tired. Enjoying fellowship, honoring your wife at home. Then on Sunday, you, you have the Lord. I have tried my best with your help. I'm coming now to deliver to your people. Please equip me. If you don't do that, you cannot do this. If you do this and you don't do that, very soon we will know. And then you will pack your bags and go. And God will give us a better pastor who is devoted. Are you praying for your pastor? Are you a Sunday school teacher here? Do you regularly pray for that brother? Do you pray for him? He needs your prayer. It's hard work. It's hard work in there. 
So what you see me doing here for 45 minutes, one hour, this lecture note, this lecture note took me over 20 hours to write, just to write. Four page, 20 hours, plus reading, consulting, speaking on the phone, drinking coffee, just making sure, and the Lord has helped me, and I'm coming to deliver to you. You must teach apostles doctrine. You must teach your church Christology. If you don't teach people correctly, everything that you do as a church will fall through. Will fall through. Therefore, please listen attentively. If you have a question on this, let's talk tomorrow. Don't teach your church how to pray first. Oh, wale, 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 what are you saying? Listen, don't teach the church how to pray first. Because I can't find it in the Bible. You teach your church who Jesus Christ is first. When the church knows Jesus Christ, they may not, they may not fully know him 100%, but they have a clue of who the Savior is. He has saved me. He's a loving God. He's our triune God. We believe in the Trinity. Right. We believe that he's coming again. We believe that he's already here. What is your own um, eschatology? Right? I love Jesus Christ. I love him. And that understanding helps me to do fellowship well. That understanding helps me to understand the breaking of bread whether it is once a month, whether it is twice monthly, and you present the bread before the church, and you tell them the significance of the elements of the table. It is when the brother and the sister know who Jesus Christ is, they are able to do fellowship well, they are able to break bread properly and biblically, then they are informed to pray. If you jump one, two, three, and teach your church how to pray, they will demand from Jesus that which is not biblical. That is why I listen carefully to people's prayer. If it's, if it's somebody I can correct, a church member, I will go to them. Brother, brother, that prayer is not biblical. I'm not saying that you should not ask God for another hoodie. Yeah? When this hoodie is bad, ask him for another hoodie. He blesses us. I'm not saying that. When your shoe is bad, ask him for help. When you're looking for a job, dust your CV. Go and look for work. Right? I'm not saying we cannot pray. I'm saying your prayer must be informed biblically. Teach your people how to pray. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, he did not teach the disciples how to pray in the Sermon on the Mount. He taught them doctrine. Go and look it. Someone on the mount, the Beatitudes, and was teaching them, and teaching them, and teaching them, and teaching them. Then in chapter 6, you should now pray like this. Our Father, please join me, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, thy kingdom come, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Stop. If Jesus Christ started with that prayer first, the brothers will not understand the Beatitudes. You must teach your people doctrine. Do you know doctrine? How many doctrines do you know? God's sovereignty, hypostatic union, God's wrath, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, his suffering, his death, his resurrection, eschatology, doctrine of the church, 
doctrine of salvation, soteriology, when you know your doctrine, when you know your doctrine, when you're reading, the doctrine comes out. Ah, that's doctrine of the church. So there's no how, and it has helped us. There's no how you, you are teaching verse by verse, precept by precept, that you will get to a particular text and you say, ah, I can't teach this. You must teach it. You can't run away. Does your church know the doctrine of salvation? Do you know? You must teach sound doctrine. You must help your church to have a deeper understanding. What is the damage done by eisegesis? The Apostle Paul gives two main charges to Timothy in his letters. First, in 1 Timothy 6.20, I love that text. Oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid irrevariable babbles and contradiction of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be upon you. Please look at me. The Apostle Paul tells Timothy to guard the deposit. What deposit? What deposit? The deposit is the truth. The divine revelation that God has committed to your hands. If you truly desire, please look at me brothers and sisters here. If you truly desire the ministry of the word, you have a responsibility to guard the revelation of God. You have a responsibility. Preach the word in and out of season. Guard it jealously. Defend by slamming against false doctrine. That the word knowledge in that text is anything that is claiming to be truth, but in fact is a lie. You see, these false teachers that we have, I'm Nigerian by birth, we have many of them. Many of them. You've just had the man in America called Treflo Dollar who has come out and said that he's been preaching wrong. Every preaching I have done on tight. Please, remove from your head. Throw all my books away on tight. But he has misled people. You remember he bought a private jet for 55 million US dollars and people contributed. Please look at me. If you stay on your lane, you know what I mean? You as a driver, stay on your lane. You are a preacher of God's word. Stay on the lane of the gospel. Yeah? Be truthful to the gospel. You will not have to apologize to people 30 years later. Because you're teaching God's word. These false teachers, they claim, they claim to have superior knowledge that God speaks to them directly. Oh, pastor has helped us a little bit. Please listen attentively. You have questions, bring it tomorrow. When the Lord speaks to us now, and I am unapologetic about this, right, you can beat me after service, you can punch me. When the Lord speaks to us now, he speaks the Bible. If you hear from God and it's not in the Bible, you are a liar. If you hear from God and it is in the Bible, 
the Lord does not speak. He doesn't need to speak because he's always there. He's already there. If the Lord speaks to you, ah, uh, what's your name, brother? Samuel. Simon. Oh, Samuel, Samuel, Simon, Simon. I am the Lord God. Brother, you are lying. If he speaks to you, and what he speaks is in the Bible, there's no need for him to speak. Because the finality of his word is here. A Nigerian deacon, my childhood friend, he came to me on Facebook. They have domestic issues in their church with some women and their husbands. And he wanted to know my, my own take to it. And I said, I don't have a take. I have the take of the Bible. And I began to help him to understand. You know what he told me? He said it in my dialect. Let me say it in English. Oh, wale, 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 wale. Put the Bible aside for now. Yeah, this is, this is domestic violence. Let's talk about it. And I said, brother, are you smoking something? Or is something smoking you? I didn't, I didn't want to say it from here. Are you smoking something? Or is something smoking you? You are a dickin, ordained by the church. You have domestic issues in the church. You came for me to help. And you are saying, Pastor, put the Bible aside. Let's deal with it. The Bible is for my faith and life. If my son is struggling, I point him to the cross of Christ. If my wife is struggling, I point her to the cross of Christ. If my brother is struggling, I point him to the cross of Christ. If my fellow pastor is struggling, we have coffee. I point him to Jesus Christ. That is why your exegesis must be sound. Be very careful. When people come to you as church members and they ask questions, you don't know the answer as a pastor. Tell them I don't have a clue. Let me go and study and come back. Don't speak grammar. Don't waffle. You gain more respect from church members when you say, Brother Simon, that text, I know it very well, but I'm not going to deeper study. Give me four days, I will come back to you. Every blessing. And then you stand there and you are trying to glamorize it. The brother knows that pastor is fumbling. You gain more respect in exegesis when you tell people, let me go study, I will come back to you. We don't know everything. It is the Lord that is helping us. You see, I have told you before, Bible alone, Bible alone, when God speaks now, He speaks the Bible to us. Sometimes it can be very hard. You know why it is hard, right? Because your parents took you to a church that wasn't biblical. You grew up in a church that wasn't biblical. You married in a church that wasn't biblical. You given birth in a church that wasn't biblical. And then your eyes opened and you saw the Bible. It's going to take years for that habit to, to go away. You must prayerfully ask the Lord to help you. Put on blinkers. Put on blinkers and just study the word. The Bible is fresh and fresh and fresh. Better than the bread that Pastor Murungi bought for me last week. Please, brothers and sisters, I want to give you a warning that is in the Bible. Galatians 1, 6 to 9. And then I will close. Galatians 1, 6 to 9. I want you to open it, please. Galatians 1, 6 to 9. 
because I want you to look in your text as I read. Galatians 1, 6 to 9. Are we there? I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, please look at me. Let him be accursed. I don't usually bring Greek text when I am teaching. But for this one, I'll bring you a Greek text. It is called anathema. When you curse someone. When you preach a different gospel. The Bible says here. But let him be accursed. As we have said before. I say again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you received. Let him be accursed. Please look at me now as I bring to a close. When we preach what is not in the gospel, when we preach what is not in the Bible, when we preach what Jesus Christ has not sent us to preach, you run foul of the ministry of Jesus Christ. You're in trouble, big trouble. I want to plead with you. I want to beg you. I want to entreat you. You know the parable of the prodigal father, the prodigal son? What did the father do to the older brother? What is the English word? He was being entreated. Please come. You know what it means to entreat people, right? Son, please come in. Your brother has returned. Eye contact. Come in. Let's go eat. Let's go eat. Did the brother come in? No. No, I want to entreat you. I want to beg you. I want to beg you. Preach Christ. I have nothing more to say. Preach Christ. Study hard. You want some books? Go get some books. You don't have books? Speak to brothers. I'm very sure there are brothers here who will forfeit their food to buy you books today. You want books? and you don't have money genuinely, genuinely, come to me and I would arrange books for you. Come and ask me privately and I would arrange books for you. Please, preach Christ crucified and resurrected. My dear friends in the Lord, I leave you with the prayers in Numbers 6, 24 to 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace as you preach Christ crucified and resurrected. Amen. Thank you.